0: Hebrews chapter ten, and we, I please be patient tonight. I wanna, I don't want to rush through this message. Um, I want to walk us through not the whole chapter, but probably about five of the verses where we'll look over it a little more closely. But to get a more of a feel for it, let's at least read verses one through twenty-five of Hebrews ten. And before we read it, I want to back up a minute and before you kind of bring your mind to that to those verses remember this book is called hebrews it's written to jewish or hebrew christians who were not in one not it's not one church it's a you know a, a region of churches they were all um, jews who became christians and so they had some problems they had persecution some of them were discouraged because they're persecuted for being a christian they said why don't you still be a jew but they are still, or practiced Judaism, but they weren't, they were following Christ. Um, they were, uh, some of them had defected from the faith, when, which really, if you defect from the faith, if you leave and really never come back, you probably were never saved in the first place. Some were like that, some wanted to just kind of quit what they were doing, and the writer encourages them in the Lord. And one of the things he does, let me pause another, let me, a little side again. If anybody's reading the Old Testament like in Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, even Deuteronomy, if you're reading that, go ahead and read a little bit of Hebrews while you're doing it because it enlightens it. It shows the significance of, oh, what's up with this brazen altar? Oh, I see what the writer of Hebrews is saying. Oh, we're reading about the high priest. Oh, I see what the writer of Hebrews is saying about the high priest. It's a great commentary on, that, on those Old Testament, um, those particular books with the offerings in the priesthood. So anyways, the book of Hebrews, he's talking about several things, how Christ is better. And let's just read this, verses 1 through 25, and we'll focus on when we're in the message is 23, 24, pardon me, 22, 23, 24, 25. All right, here we go. For the law, verse 1, for the law, having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things. Can never with those sacrifices which they offer year by year continually make the comers thereunto perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be offered? Because that the worshippers once purged should have had no more conscience of sins. But in those sacrifices there is remembrance again made of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sins." Wherefore, when He cometh into the world, referring to Jesus, He saith, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sins thou hast had no pleasure. Then said I, Lo, I come, in the volume of the book it is written of me, to do thy will, O God. Above when He said, Sacrifice and offering and burnt offerings and offering for sin thou wouldest not, neither hadst pleasure therein, which are offered by the law. Then said he, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first, that he may establish the second. By the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest standeth daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But this man... After he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God, from henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. For by one offering hath he perfected forever them that are sanctified. Whereof the Holy Ghost also is a witness to us. After after that he had said before, this is the covenant that I will make with them. And after those days, saith the Lord, I will put my laws into their hearts." And in their minds will I write them. In their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Now where remission of these is, there is no more offering for sin. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiness by the blood of Jesus and by a new and living way, which He hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, His flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for He is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. You know, there's some things that um, it is that some people like better it's you know we had we had our services online and um, we're glad to be able to do that in fact I'm going to say hope to say something about that here in a little bit in the message but it's better to come together in person isn't it it's better right um, uh, it's nice having maybe some there's some things that are better you know it's nice having some fruit out of a can but it's better to have fresh fruit right it's better to have some fresh fruit. Uh, here, the book of Hebrews, the theme, the word better is mentioned 13 times. There's 13 chapters. It's not in every chapter, but it's mentioned 13 times. And because if you can see, again, the theme of the book is, because you might not understand it, it's basically this. There is angels. That's pretty neat that God made angels. But Jesus is better than angels. There are, and there's reasons for that. I'm not going to break down the whole book in detail. There's Moses and the law, and we needed Moses and the law. But Jesus is better than Moses and the law. There's the high priest. Whoa, that high priest, he had to be careful what he did. But Jesus is better than the high priest. And there's all these bloody sacrifices that God did prescribe to kind of cover sin. But Jesus, what He did, it's better than those sacrifices. And His blood is better than the blood of those animals. So the theme of the book of Hebrews is Jesus is better. Even the idea of the the Old Testament saints that were seeking a country to... To, to be in the land of Israel we get a we have a better country in heavenly we get to go to heaven itself and so Jesus is better what Jesus has for us is better now I want to look at a few walk through a few verses in fact I want to back up from verse 22 let's back up a little bit I want to show you a little example here look what it says in verse 11 and 12 it says every high priest every priest standeth daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices which can never take away sins but this man its comparing to jesus after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever sat down on the right hand of god verse 14 for by one offering hath he perfected forever them that are sanctified there's an example of jesus being better the high priests they do their thing constantly constantly jesus did his thing one time all done it's done his offering is better Look at verses 16 uh, to 18. The New Covenant, the New Covenant, another way of saying New Covenant is New Testament. You are in the New Testament, not because your Bible's open there, but because you have trusted Jesus as your Savior. You're in God's agreement plan. You're in a pact with God just by trusting Jesus. God's pact with you is if you trust my son, I have you forever and ever. You're mine forever and ever and ever. The Old Testament was a different type of a pact. It was a different type of a covenant. And it was a little more, um, it, was, it was temporary. The Bible says here, the new covenant accomplishes more of a thorough work in, in a man. Look what it says there, verse 16. This is the covenant. He's quoting an Old Testament verse in Jeremiah. God predicted, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. In the Old Testament, God is saying, in the future, here's what I'm going to do for the people of the Lord. I'm gonna put away with this old covenant. I got a new one. I'm gonna put my law not into the into the into the uh, the stone. I'm gonna put it into their hearts, and in their minds will I write it. The idea is that when in the new covenant, when we accept Jesus as our Savior, we're transformed. We have the Holy Spirit of God. A person in the Old Testament that accepted God's covenant and they believed on Him, they believed on Him, they're saved. There wasn't really that type of transformation. You might have the Holy Spirit, you might not. The law was outside of you. You had to to read it and hope that you would keep it. God says, when you're saved, I'm going to put it in you and I'm going to transform you. The new covenant is better than the Old Testament. It does a more thorough work on a person. We should be glad we're believers in this day and age and not 3,000 years ago or 2,500 years ago. We have so much more going for us. Um, God says in verse 17, and or verse yeah verse 17, and their sins, referring to that new covenant, and iniquities will I remember no more. The Old Testament, the sins and iniquities are constantly remembered year by year. With us, they're not remembered anymore. God says, I don't have an issue with your sins anymore. That is my your, the guilt your, uh, your your standing of guilt. Notice verse 20. It talks about a high priest. 19 and 20. He says, having therefore, and he's talking to us as Christians, he's talking originally to those who were Jewish Christians who were familiar with these ceremonies, familiar with the high priests and bringing sacrifices. And he's saying, listen, you're, at, you're in a better deal right now. You don't in that anymore. You're in a better deal. And he refers to the high priest. Look what he says. And to the, uh, pardon me, the, the way to go to God. Look what he says in verse 19. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus by a new and living way which He hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say His flesh. We'll pause right there. In the Old Testament, if you wanted to really draw near to God, um, you could be a priest, you get close, you're in the temple, you're kind of around the things of God. But if you're a high priest, once a year you could go, there's the court in the temple, there's the holy place, and then there's a smaller area called the Holy of Holies. And once a year you can go in there and God's, it's not like God's all contained in there, but He manifests His presence in there. And he could, a person can go into that holiest of all places, not without blood, not without doing everything perfect. He had to be very careful. This guy, this high priest, when he would go into the holy, he went through this thick veil. When he went into there, past that veil, or when Solomon built it, he made these moving, um, uh, the, the, uh, the doors moved open like that. Boy, he had to be, he didn't just come in, hey God, it's good to see you again this year. No, it wasn't like that, you know, there was a certain blood of a certain animal, of a certain looking animal he had to bring in with him and sprinkle it, and he had to be dressed a certain way, and he did a certain thing, and he confessed the sins of Israel, and he sprinkled the blood over the mercy seat, and boy, he couldn't miss any details. If he missed the detail, he died. God would kill him. And it was, it was showing the perfections of God the, the, how God's perfections have, or there's high demands there. And it was a good thing in the sense it shows how perfect God is, and it shows how nobody really can please God in and of ourself except through faith in Jesus Christ. Christ satisfied all the demands of God for us. And so, okay, so what he's saying here is this. The high priest went in trembling, lest he neglect a detail, detail prescribed him. But we, what is he saying here? Verse nineteen: We have boldness, having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. What it's saying now is, for we as Christians, we have there's a new way established. We can come boldly before God's presence. That is in in an act of worship now, or when you die and go to heaven, you're going boldly into God's presence. you will be like, whoa, wait, wait a minute, where do I go? can I can I go over here in heaven? No, just go right in there. If you're in heaven, you can go right up to God, wherever He's at. I haven't been there yet. But I'm just saying, In when we die and you go to heaven, go in there, or just even go in before God in your worship, you can just go boldly before the Lord. Why? Because it says that He created a scenario where we can just come boldly before God. You see, the Old Testament uh, saints, when they thought about being close to God, they didn't think like, um, they thought, well, the high priest, they can really be close to God and the priests can be close to God, but oh, man, that's a little different for me it's only we kind of have to have a little distance there. I know God, yeah. I seen the cloud over the temple one time. Uh, I heard him speak through a prophet. It's a little different. But for us, Now that we're Christians, now that Jesus has come, He fulfilled what Moses demanded. He fulfilled all the sacrifices and the offerings. And and He he brought perfect blood and a one-time offering. And when He died, literally a veil rent in that temple signifying that the holiest uh, place is open to those who trust Jesus as their Savior. It's open. I can go to God now because of of Jesus' flesh being torn for me. And so... Um, it's because, By the way, we come before God with infinitely more meritorious blood. The old, the old Testament high priest, He came, He was the blood of an animal. When we come before God, it's accounted on, on us. The blood of Christ has cleansed us, the blood of Christ has forgiven us. That's what God sees. He sees better blood than the blood of the most rare animal they slain in the Old Testament. And so Christ is our high priest. Look what it says in verse 21 and having a high priest over the house of God. Jesus now is our high priest. We are kind of like priests, by the way. There's a, there's a few verses in the Bible that mention that, like all believers, if you know the Lord is your Savior, it's like your priest, you can, you can go before God and you can pray before, for others, but Jesus is our high priest. He's our high priest, <coughs> that is. He's the high priest over the heavenly court. There is a heaven and we're going there if you know Jesus as your Savior, and He's the High Priest over that heavenly court, and He makes sure that we have total access to God. And so that book, that this is the the book here, is about to turn a corner. This whole book of Hebrews is saying um, Jesus is better than angels, Jesus is better than Moses, Jesus is better than the sacrifices, and He's basically coming now to a point where He's going to turn a corner. He's going to go from doctrinal to practical. If this is true, since this is true, since now <clears throat> you let's 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 talk back to these Jewish believers 2000 years ago. The writer saying, "Hey, listen, you used to worship this way with the Mosaic system that God did prescribe. <clears throat> God's got a newer system. It's better now." And um, you can come boldly before God yourself. You don't have to go through a rigmarole. You don't have to be a high priest. You don't have to be from the tribe of Levi. You just need to trust Jesus as your Savior. And he's saying, look at the great privilege that you have now. And since this is true, wow. Since you have a great high priest over the house of God, since you can just come boldly before God and not have to tremble. Oh, did I pray right? Uh, Did I say something wrong? You don't have to do that. The writer's saying, since this is true, and you can just come boldly before God, if that, since that's true, here's three resolutions that we have. He says, the let us, let us, let us. And let's consider those, and I want to really emphasize that last one. He says, since this is true, and because it's one sentence there, going into verse 22, let us draw near then. Let us draw near with a true heart, in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience. He's saying... Um, so then let it then come near to god if god says you can excuse me come near to him then come near to him come near to him in a prayer life in a life of in a in a uh, a habit of worship come near draw near but he qualifies it by saying have a true heart in full assurance of faith in other words don't be a fake worshiper don't be somebody who pretends to be a christian but you're really not Draw near to God with a true heart. Are you? Is our? Is every heart in here truly a heart with Jesus in it? Pardon that little example, but what I mean is a heart where truly you've trusted Jesus as your Savior. That's how we come to before God. If you're, if you've trusted Jesus as your Savior, the Bible does say Christ dwells in our hearts. Then draw near to God on that basis. In other words, let me put it to you this way: We don't. We come close to God on the basis of what Jesus did and not on anything else. The Old Testament saints would come close to God. They would come to the temple on the basis of something else they brought. Oh, I got this offering. I got it just right. Spotless lamb. Or I got this uh, bullock. And they'd have to come on that basis. But we come to God on the basis of what Jesus has provided for us. And so we should let us draw near to God. The moral and the ceremonial pollution issue is over with. God says, come on in, come talk to me, come worship me, come fellowship with me. And they need, these saints needed that encouragement. I think we do too. Uh, we need to draw close to God, qualified by a true heart. That is, we're truly saved. So person says, well, I would like to be close to God. There's no reason why you can't be. There's no reason why you can't. Let us draw near. Number two, let us hold fast our profession. Look what it says there. In verse 23, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. For He is faithful that promised. I believe what He's saying then is, okay, all you the Hebrew Christians, this is what you had before. In Christ, this is what you have now. It's a better deal. Come close to God. And you know what? Hold fast your profession. Be (coughs) be strong in professing that. you're. Christian now, you're not. You're thankful for the the shadow and the type of the Judaism that you follow, but you you hold fast that you're now a Christian. I'm not the Judaistic follower anymore. Hold fast that you're a Christian. I'm not this anymore, and without wavering. And uh, no, I'm not one of the pagans in the Greek. No, I'm not one of the other pagans in the Roman culture. No, I'm not a pagan in Egypt, nor nor the, the legalist in Judah. I am a Christian now," he's saying to these old, te- to these New Testament Jews. "I'm a Christian now," he says. Hold fast that. Not saying be proud; he's just being strong. Hold fast your profession. Yes, I'm a Christian. God promises to back you up. He says He is faithful that promised. We should profess that you. We should, if you've been saved, you should hold fast that profession through baptism. If you haven't been scripturally water baptized, profess it through the waters of baptism. Um, we should hold fast to our, our profession in saying what we are. I'm a Christian. In our witness, in other ways of it, you know, in our, some of us like to say things through our media uh, platforms. That's great, fine. Hold fast to professions, what he's saying. And then this last one, he says, let us consider one another. Since this is what we have, since we are so privileged as Christians now, let us draw near, let us hold fast. And then, number number three, let us consider one another. Don't just think about yourself. Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. That's that whole thought there. Versus just consider yourself. It's easy to consider, it's easy to just live the me life, isn't it? It's easy to just kind of think about my own things. Like, like it says in Philippians look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. It's really easy. To only think about my issues, my schedule, uh, my interests, my appetites. It's really easy to be that way. But the writer of Hebrews, in, in the whole point of saying let us consider one another, is he's, he's, he's basically bringing this whole thing of um, he's, he's going to emphasize the need to keep congregating and be in a church. Don't just think about your own life. Consider one another. What to do? What look? What it says to provoke unto love and to good works. Whenever I think of provoke, I usually think of the negative type of provoking. I think of you know somebody poking a stick at a dog, (laughs) you know the dog poking, growling back, (coughs) or or a big brother picking on a little brother, you know, or on a little sister or whatever. That's not right. Don't provoke. Provoke means to try to bring out something in somebody. Bring out something. Oh. You mean I gotta go work on somebody else and try to bring something out of them? We're commanded to. Some of us we I wish somebody just, you know, we, we always think about what people can do for us. And here he's saying, think about what you can do for somebody else. Well, how can I bring out, provoke some love out of somebody? That's a great thing. It's kind of I keep thinking of, you know, how can I grow something out of the ground? You know, work the ground. I want to grow this. I want to grow that. It's it's like he's saying that. What can you bring out of? So let's bring some love out of somebody. Provoke somebody to love, and good works. Bring out some good works out of somebody. <clears throat> I believe right now our church has all the spiritual gifts we need to. We need to be everything we need to be right now. If we would just do what we're supposed to do, love people, get involved. If you don't know what you're supposed to do, you know, think of something, pray for something. We have all the, we have all the good work potential in us to be everything we need to be right now as a church. And sometimes it takes, for me as a pastor, and for one another, just to provoke each other. Coming together in church helps doing that. Um, so to provoke and to love and to good works. I always think I was. Some of us, how many of us seen the little Christian film Facing the Giants? You know? The death crawl scene. How many of you like the death crawl? I love the death crawl scene. He's telling the Brock, I think the kid's name is Brock, come on, Brock. And he is blindfolded and has this kid on the back of him and you can do it. Don't quit. Don't quit. Don't you quit. Keep going. Keep going. He's going crazy. Ah, it's a really cool scene. I like it. So, but he's what's he doing with that with that kid he's he's provoking him to something good he's bringing something out of him then when that kid was done he didn't realize he can crawl whatever it was 50 yards i don't know what it was with this hundred and something kid other uh, pound kid on the back of him 160 or whatever he didn't know he can do it but his coach provoked it brought it out of him and um yeah, you know, I don't know if that's what the application is. That Adam needs to call you guys and say, "Keep coming, keep coming to church. Come." He's gonna—I don't know if he's gonna yell that, uh, but uh, brother Derek with the teens, you know, you can yell at him if you want, brother Derek. At least mine. So, but see, we're called. See, we're called to be more than you probably thought. Man, I gotta provoke somebody. Yeah, I need to find a way to provoke somebody to love and to good works. And then he talks about going to church, and he a part of the considering, consider one another. You know, as it relates to assembling in church, part of the reason of assembling is consider other people. If you don't assemble, you're not there with them. Look what it says let us consider one another to provoke into love and to good works. It keeps going. Not, don't do this, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is. And the idea there of forsaking is not like, oh, I missed a service, or oh, I had this thing come up, or it's not talking about that. It's talking about basically putting it off all together. Ah, I don't really need to go to church. I might show up every now and then. You got a dinner on the grounds, to kind of see what's cooking, you know. It's talking about keeping it in your habit, and pretty much that's what this whole church is here tonight. And let's keep that up, our assembly, and not we don't want to forsake the assembling. We had to forsake. For a, a, a week and a half, the, the regular in person assembling by necessity, but we found ways to try to stay communicated. I'm glad we're back uh, with what we're doing tonight. But let's ask ourselves a question. Okay, so it says, not forsaking, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. So when it comes to coming to church, <clears throat> it's saying, you know. Well, let me just, let's just do this. Let's talk about coming to church. Why do some, why do we go to church? That is, why does a person typically go to church? Why do they assemble? Let's just throw out some ideas. You know, some person, some of us, we just might not know why we go to church. It's because on Sunday morning I get in my car and it just seems to drive there. Maybe that's why. It's just a habit. Or on Wednesday night, it just seems like it just drives there. Go ahead, you. We're commanded to. Some of us, it's just, it's it's active in our motive right there that I'm commanded to go. Sometimes people go to church because, um, uh, well, I want to get something. Go ahead. Hear God's word. To hear God's Word. Yeah, I'll go because I want to hear God's Word. Why else might people go to church? Good or bad? Josh? They want to be with a lot of people they know. That's right. Yeah. Most of these are good. Yeah. Some people might go to church just because... Uh, I got nothing else to do, so I guess I'll do it." Some people might go to church because, well, there's not a ball game on, I might as well. You know, um, Some people might go to church because I want to get something. Some people might go to church because, well, now I feel like it. Some of them go to church, they're excited about giving, they're excited about teaching, they're excited about fellowshipping. Those are good reasons, so I'm just throwing out positives and negatives. Why don't some people go to church? Some people don't go, to, don't go to church because they I don't get anything out of it. Or I have a problem with somebody there. Or I don't go to church because the game is on. What are you talking about? Of course, they wouldn't say that, some people. But here is the deal. He says, con, come, he's basically saying, go to church, consider somebody else, go there to exhort somebody. Don't just go there. It's like, well, I'm not getting anything. Okay, for, maybe we're not getting anything. Sometimes it gets like that. at Church, I'm just not getting anything. Pastor's been kind of boring lately. Okay, then do this. Think, what can I give? What can I? How can I be like uh, Coach Grant to somebody? You know, Grant from that movie. I think that was his name. Um, and uh, how can I exhort somebody? How can I give somebody an encouragement? You know, I am greatly privileged. I'm not in this Old Testament format anymore i got this open way I can come to God. I can be close to God. I don't have to worry about trembling going before Him. And He's got a whole bunch of His other family and people that are close to Him and we're supposed to congregate together. So i got the worst problems behind me of having an evil conscience and having my sins over my head. So All that stuff's behind me. I get to go to church. I get to go before God. I get to, I'm told to consider one another. And you know what? What should I do then when I go to church? I, I should try to exhort somebody, be an encouragement to somebody. And most of the time, that's, what, that's probably one of the strengths of this church. But sometimes I want to keep um, encouraging our strengths. How can I exhort somebody? Um, you can exhort, exhort somebody just by your attendance. It ex- exhorts. I'm encouraged to be with everybody tonight. I think many of you are as well. Attendance is exhorting. Smile is an exhorting thing. Now, breathing somebody might not be very encouraging, you don't have, you know, good breath, but a good smile is encouraging. It's nice to have a good smile. A hygienic shake, when we're allowed to do that, can exhort somebody. A kind word. You know, a question can exhort somebody. You know, it's nice when somebody asks you, you know, sometimes you don't want a question and you don't want to talk, but there's some people, some of you get like this probably. You, you, you may not even realize it, but you want somebody and you kind of need somebody to ask you a question, kind of draw something out of you to get you talking that's encouraging not so much that you get to be talking but that you're somebody's listening and it's not a wall that's part of exhorting one another so consider somebody else consider asking somebody a question consider being a good uh, listening ear that exhorts them an encouraging word exhort somebody with a meal you know i always get encouraged when i see families going out together having somebody over and saw one you know one of the families was encouraging the, the guy that visited this morning, saying, hey, you want to come over to our house sometimes? let us know. I'm like, yeah, I love that. We had one visitor today. That was good. He lives in Goodyear, but uh, he says, oh, maybe I could come on Sundays. Uh, but anyways, you know, exhorting somebody with a meal, exhorting somebody with an offer to assist them with something. Exhorting somebody with a song, whether it's, you know, in a class or, a special exhort people with a song, or with somebody teaching their lesson. You know the Bible says this: "Give, and it shall be given unto you." God has this unique thing where He says, "You exert, you give of yourself, and I'm going to give back to you." Uh, he says in Luke six thirty eight. There's a proverb. There's more than one proverb. I didn't get the other reference, but there's a proverb that says the liberal soul, not referring to politics. Right. It's talking about the generous person, the generous person, the liberal soul that gives and seeing what they can give, for some, give to somebody else shall be made fat. And he that watereth shall be watered himself. And so um, we need each other in here. We need to be of a mindset, when I come, I'm going to try to be a blessing to somebody. And you'll probably go home saying, somebody it was a blessing to me. Well, that's how it works. Consider one another, not just yourself. You know, God takes note of that. Listen, let me look quickly at Malachi 3.16. An interesting verse God said about these. Um, it, it might even be a prophecy. Honestly, I'm not sure. But God says He basically takes note of something. It says there, Malachi 3.16, He says, they that, Then they that feared the Lord spake often one to another. And the Lord hearkened and heard it, and a book of remembrance was written before Him for them that feared the Lord and that thought upon His name. Then they, again, they that feared the Lord spake often one to another. You see like this, it's like God is complimenting some group of believers that care for each other and speak to each other and fellowship with each other. God says, I like that, I'm going to write that down to see that. So... A resolution, this is a good resolution as Christians. Now, again, originally it was to these Hebrew Christians. The writer says, the Old Testament covenant, is you're done with that. You have Jesus now. Go right in and talk to Him. Hold fast that profession of Him. And keep going to church. Consider another person when you go there, too. Don't forsake the assembly. You know, uh, in a way, as your pastor, I am the, I am the fruit of some exhortation from people in this church when I was younger, going to this church. There was a man named Gary that encouraged me when I would come to this church. There was a man named uh, Wes, Adam's dad, who exhorted me when I would come to this church. There was a man named Roland who would tell corny jokes and slap his knee that, was, uh, that encouraged me when I would come to this church. And sometimes he'd laugh so hard, I'd be afraid that his dentures might fall out. You know. And um, and there was a guy named David, my brother-in-law now, who exhorted me, and the pastor named James and his wife named Linda that exhorted me and were a blessing to me when I came to this church. And it made a difference and helped me press on as a as a Christian, and um, and keep you know and be encouraged about my profession in Christ, and so think about these resolutions. I, I think these are a good focus as we come back together. I want to I I be glad that I can just draw near to God. I want to be glad that I can hold fast, and I should hold fast, my profession. And I want to be a considerate Christian, not just think about my own things, my own issues, but think about others. I, I meant to share this just a little bit ago, but when we, even when we did the um, Mrs. Vasco, the Vascos were such a blessing. Of course, they're trying to attend, they're like way out in Peoria. They're at least an hour away. But um, when we were doing, this is a few weeks ago. By the way, Michael was helping a lot with, I mean, he was doing probably, I'm going to guess, eight hours a week helping on producing this, editing it, and putting up these videos. Will was here every time leading singing. Sarah was here every time uh, playing some hymns. And we have a little special music occasionally when we could with the Carnes the and, and the Farbox produced. <laughs> they had their own little home studio there. Producing their um, instrumentals and and Drew popped in on the video a couple times like that that was really funny, uh, but um, so when we did when we started doing these videos again this is the best we could do for what we the situation we're in produce these videos try to make it feel like you're there um, putting the words on the screen that was helpful Mrs Vasco would would write and text me back say thank you Pastor. Uh, for the message, you know they were they were staying up on the messages and stuff. And uh, then they this was a this was the end of April Sunday, April twenty sixth. This was one of their things they said. Thank you so much for the message this morning. Enjoyed capital A L L. Enjoyed all the music. I couldn't sing along. I was too busy crying with gratitude. Mark and I were blessed. You know, I, I mean, and then. I would get a few from brother Mark to saying he's very thankful for the you know the service and that's just that's just by video you know they were blessed we want to keep that how much more were people in person to keep that um, that blessedness in our gatherings whether it's music it's instrumentalist or somebody who greets or somebody who chats in the parking lot or the pastor's message or the teacher's message or a nursery worker that's friendly, keep that exhorting mentality and not just a me mentality. Let's keep that up. And that'll make, that'll keep church sweet and keep us all we ought to be as as Jesus, as Jesus people.